So we have finally got to the final day, the final Sunday of our Psalm 23. This is the 12th week in Psalm 23. So with that said, I invite you to turn to Psalm 23. I'm going to read from the ESV version this morning, and if you are able to stand for the reading of God's Word, I invite you to do so as you turn to Psalm 23. And I will read from Psalm 23, the ESV version this morning. And it reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. A brief prayer. God, thank you again for this time that we have to gather in your name. And we just um, praise you. And we just thank you for who you are and thank you for the series and for your word and and for your spirit that illuminates the scripture to us, Lord. And we just thank you. We just pray that as we close out one series and go, go on to the next, that you just bless this time for your glory. Prepare our hearts to receive your word. And whatever you want me to say, I say. And whatever you don't, I don't. We thank you and we love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat. So as we close out this series in Psalm 23, we're really going to look at this final statement, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And really, um, the first verse and the last verse are bookends of this incredible psalm that King David wrote. The Lord is my shepherd, has a personal relationship here on earth, is what King David is has talked about and we've gone over many times. And now we come to the other end, the book end, and he's closing out, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, the hopeful anticipation of heaven. So do you see that? The, the Lord is my shepherd, a personal relationship here on earth, and then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And when you read the Psalms, one of the major themes that you will see is you will find hope. And a desire to be in the presence of God. And, and hopefully, ideally, that yeah, encourages us to spend time in the presence of the Lord here on earth and then for all of eternity in heaven. And as you read through the Psalms, you will see the ups and downs, the sadness, the heartbreak, everything. But then you will also see the joy and the hope of heaven. A place to live, a home that's prepared a description of a real, living, actual place, not some ethereal idea, but an actual place that is prepared for us by Christ. Moses describes heaven as a holy abode or a sanctuary or a sanctuary for the Holy One. And as we consider this, I just, I just was looking at some of the Psalms, and I'll just read them quickly. They'll be on the screen just talking about the Lord's sanctuary and his home. So I'd like to read that to you as we prepare to consider his home. Psalm 26, 8 says, I love your sanctuary, Lord, the place where your glorious presence dwells. 
Psalm 27.4 reads, The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections and meditating in his temple. And then finally, Psalm 84, 1 and 2, and then verse 4. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. And then verse 4. What joy for those who can live in the house, always singing your praises. The first one in the second psalm that I read there for us is from David. And he had this incredible view of waiting on the Lord and, and looking forward to the sanctuary of the Lord. Not just here on earth, but in, in heaven. And as we consider that, King David is closing out his psalm almost as if he's going back out into the desert to face the day. So he, he considers who the Lord is and that he should be our shepherd and he is our shepherd and we'll touch that. And then he walks us through what a good shepherd looks like. And then he walks us through what a good host looks like. And, and in, in the way that I see it, he closes out and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's almost as if he's getting up from the table from the time that he spent with the Lord. He's leaving this tent. He's going out in the desert and he's facing the day. So picture that. He's getting up from the table and he's ready to get back out there. You know, whenever you're with friends or family, either a holiday or just a good meal, and you're sitting there and you just don't really want to get up because you're enjoying it so much, but you know that at some point your host is going to flicker the lights for you to go home or not fill up your coffee or just downright ask you to get out of here, Dallas. But, but this is what it is. This is what it, it had been for King David. If you remember... Most theologians, commentaries believe this is much later in his life. And it's almost like a, 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 a smile as he's writing this, at least that I see it. He's, he's now seeing himself getting up from the table. Thank you for the good meal. And when I leave this tent, when I leave this place, I know that you are going to follow me. And more importantly, one day, regardless of the ups and downs, I have the hope to dwell with you in heaven, Lord. So again, King David, as he's writing this, I think it's important to, to remember this fact. There is actually, there's actually no physical temple at this time. I won't spend a lot of time to go through that. We will whenever we talk about David and later on this year. But um, there's no actual temple. If you remember, David really wanted to build a temple. He asked the Lord several times, can I build a temple? Can I build a temple? Please, please let me build the temple. Well, that's my transliteration of what David was asking, but he begged him. And then God said, no, but your son will. So when he's talking about, and I will dwell in the place or your abode is actually the Hebrew translation. An abode is uh, where everything is stored and kept and cared for. His desire, King David's desire, his strong desire is not just to build one, which he, he wants to. It's not just to walk with the Lord, but he knows that one day the promise of heaven is real. So when he talks about this, he's talking about the future hope of heaven. He's talking about the hope of our salvation because he is following God. And Jesus knows not only what it is like 
to be the good shepherd as he described, as John describes him as he's been walking. He, Jesus also knows what it means to be a good host, but maybe even more perfectly combined together is Christ knows exactly what it means to be the sacrificial lamb. So as King David is, is writing this out, he is looking towards God towards Christ as the good shepherd, but he also recognizes that he's also the perfect sacrificial lamb. So the hope and the goal for this whole series, as I have mentioned a couple of times, is just for us to slow down. I think I had mentioned this earlier on in this series that usually one of the things that that I attempt to do is read through the Bible in a year. I think I had mentioned that last year Natalie and I were doing that together. And that's great motivation not to let your wife beat you. So just just saying, she beat me. But anyways, I finished. But then this year, I, I got a sense that my, my desire to check it off, another year finishing the Bible, gold star Dallas Jackson. I, I was convicted that perhaps I need to slow down and enjoy. And I thought perhaps that would be an encouragement to you. So we took 12 weeks to go through Psalm 23. And just this week alone, some people shared, I didn't know how you were going to do it, but you did it. Well, I didn't do it. It was Christ who did it. But to be honest with you, I didn't know how I was going to do it either. But yet what I've, at least for me, some of the notes that I have before we talk about heaven here is I just appreciated slowing down to the pace of the time of the biblical times. I was looking through this a little bit. The average speed during this time, during biblical times, Old Testament times, was three miles a day. Not an hour, a day. And yes, they could cover more, but on average, three miles a day. So I started thinking about what would it be like if we slow down three miles a day. And I'm not saying that we do, because right now, depending on excluding the internet, we go about 80 miles a day here. If you include the internet, I don't know how you measure the speed of the internet necessarily, but essentially we travel thousands of miles a day just with our phone. So if we take our time and slow down, like King David is is suggesting through the Spirit talking to us, He closes out, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So this morning, what I'm hoping to do is I want to take a look at two main themes of heaven. The first is a glimpse of heaven, and I do mean just a glimpse. And then secondly, the hope of heaven. So the glimpse of heaven and the hope of heaven. So the glimpse of heaven, when you hear the word heaven, what comes to your mind immediately? You don't have to say it out loud. You can. I don't care. But I believe that it changes as we grow in our faith with Christ. For, for those who are followers of Christ in here this morning, I believe, if I asked you what it was when you first came to know Christ, maybe it's just been recently until now, hopefully it's grown. Some of the conversations with people that I've had this week in, in preparation of considering this sermon is, when I say the word heaven, what does it, what vision, what thoughts come to your mind? Someone was very honest in youth group and says, it sounds a little boring, to be honest. To which I asked, why? Well, what exactly do I get to do? You, cl- you clearly see I hang out with middle school boys at youth group. But maybe 
You may not be a middle school boy in here. You may be much older. Do you think heaven is boring? Another person that I asked said, well, what's up with the streets of gold? Is that a metaphor or something? Yes, a metaphor for the glory of heaven, and yet there is golden streets. Well, how does that work? I don't know. I'll let you know when I get there. Or perhaps you're sitting here this morning and asking yourself, well, what exactly are we going to do all for eternity? Sing? Have you heard me sing? There's also perhaps some confusion that when we die, we become angels. That's a popular thought. To be clear, we do not become angels. Angels are angels. People are people. Or perhaps for some of you, there are some who are waiting for their new body that is promised in the return of Christ. You may have had cancer, ailment, injury, scars, etc., and you're waiting for that new body. To which again, one middle school boy said, well, what kind of body? Like me now or me when I'm buff when I'm 20? <laughs> I do not know. Well, I'll go on a little bit more. He said, because my grandpa, he's old and wrinkly, and he needs a new body. So <laughs> I won't tell you who it is. Or maybe you're here, and you don't really want to deal with the thought of heaven because it's just so much. You know, it, it, you know that it's a good thing. You believe in Christ, and you're just sitting here thinking, well, whatever. It's going to be better than here. Or perhaps... A loved one has passed away recently, within this week, year, month, and you are looking forward to heaven. Or perhaps you don't think of heaven until you're at a funeral or a memorial service. And again, I'll, I'll mention this. There is a difference between a funeral and memorial service. A funeral is for the dead. A memorial service or a celebration of life is for someone who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior. I wasn't going to say this, but... <laughs> But now that I said I'm not going to say it, I'm going to say it. I, my mom worked in uh, home health and, uh, at an Alzheimer's ward, and, and she was a nurse. And I remember very young, she would mention something to the effect. I should have probably asked her exactly to quote her, but if I mess up, that's okay. She lives in Ohio. She can't get me yet. But she would say that when someone passed away, she knew where they were going. She knew if they had a belief in Christ as their Savior or not, because of the joy that they had at the end. And looking over some sermon series this week on heaven, I appreciated the fact of what some um, pastors have done in the past. For example, Dr. John MacArthur spent six weeks talking about heaven. Martin Lloyd-Jones did a series, a seven-week series. John Calvin, John Wesley... Uh, they visit the thought of heaven just about every other writing or sermon. And all that to say is we're just going to spend this morning talking about heaven and eventually we'll come back and do a series on heaven. I've grown to appreciate it, uh, the full series. But if we are going to keep with this theme of what King David has been pointing us toward in Psalm 23, heaven is a perfect place in which we have a perfect relationship with God the Father because of the perfect sacrifice of Christ, because of the perfect Holy Spirit guiding us until then. 
And Philip Keller, who I based a lot of the, the, the thoughts of the series on uh, his book, again, A Shepherd's View of Psalm 23, he said, Christ will be with me when I'm out in the field and by the stream and in the desert and in the valley and in the tent and at the table, and he will be with me until he takes me home, and then I will be with him forever because that is the character of God. So what encouraged me really this week when looking over heaven was not simply that we will be with God in heaven forever. That's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I think that's beautiful. I don't even think I can fully comprehend it. But what I really appreciate as I was going through this, not just the relationship that we will have, not just that perfectness, not just the perfect body, not just the perfect environment, not just being in the presence of the Lord and whatever it is that we will do exactly in heaven as we celebrate all of glory. That's wonderful. But what I really appreciated this week is what will not be in heaven. So for this morning, the first part of a glimpse into heaven, I invite you to turn to Revelation 21, verse 1 and 7, and also be on the screen here. I'm going to read the NLT for this one, Revelation 21, 1 and 7. And here this view of what John wrote as he was getting this vision from the Lord. Revelation 21, 1 through 7, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. Just stop there real quick. Just for some background, just the contents of what this means, new heaven and new earth, one day, new heaven and new earth. Uh, but at the end of verse 1, it says, and the sea was, was also gone. The sea represents evil, death, all the bad stuff. That's the representation. And then, he said in verse 2, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. And here's what won't be in heaven. Verse four, he will wipe every tear from the eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain all these things are gone for heaven forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I am the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings and I will be their God and they will be my children. Amen. And do you see this? I mean, we're going to move through this pretty quickly, but, but before we get into the things that will not be in, in heaven, but just look at two. It's, it's new. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. A new home. This new, this word in Greek that is, is written, this new, um, sometimes can be confusing because a lot of times this, this word new is considered, uh, you may be picturing it, well, it's time for a new house. It's time for a new car. 
It's time for a new fill in the blank. And then the next year, the new model comes. And you're like, ooh, I need that new, new one. How many here have ever told their children, what do you mean you need that new? I just bought you a new one last year. And they're like, that's so old, dad. But this understanding of new is the replacement of new and there will never be nothing new again because it's perfect. So as, as John is writing this from Revelation, it, 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 you correlate back to Psalm 23, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I do believe King David saw this newness, that he wouldn't have to be out in the desert anymore. And then in verse 4, a glimpse into heaven. Let's just take a moment to consider that. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more tears. Tears represents the mourning of loss. Yes, there's happy tears, but in some ways, these tears in which he is describing is all the hurts and the hangups and the scars of this life will be gone. And there will be no more death. None. Absolutely none. The worry of death, the waiting on death, the scariness of death, the fear of death, all gone. No more. Or the sorrow. The sorrow, in the original text, the sorrow can be translated into the deep belly cries of hurt. Or crying, or pain, all these are gone forever. As a pastor, I get the privilege of doing celebrations of life or memorial services or whatever you want to call them for believers and it is such a joy to celebrate what it is that that person gets to expect what we get to expect on their behalf as they are in heaven but yet at the same time there is a lot of emotion for the loss i know i've said this before but i would cautious any caution anyone who only focuses on the joy of heaven death is sad it was never God's plan to have death. It's okay to grieve and celebrate at the same time. I believe the people who struggle the most are the ones who don't have this balanced view. And I can't, I can't suggest enough that it is sad and yet a celebratory time at the same time. Um, my brother-in-law, his wife... Her grandmother had just passed away a few months ago, and uh, I watched the service from online, and it was neat to see that John MacArthur did the service. She was one of the founding members and great friends, and they grew up together. And one of the things that I appreciated, probably one of the most things I appreciated about John MacArthur is his way to describe heaven, which I had mentioned in this series. And one of the things that he said that stuck to me that, that I continue to hold on to, and it's been fresh, is he said, I know that you are all hurting and sad to see your loved one gone. But if you had one more phone call and you could call up and talk to her, would you actually ask her to come back down to earth? Well, when you put it that way, no. But if you're honest, kind of. But yet that was what King David is, is seeing here. Going back to Psalm 23, he's getting up from the table, if you will. He's going out. He's going out to face another day. He has been a shepherd himself. He, he is now towards the end of his life. He is reflecting on all the goodness of God. And he recognizes, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, 
forever, knowing and anticipating no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. And in verse five, of, back to Revelation, it says, and the one sitting on the throne said, look, I am making everything new, verse five. Again, that word new, that, that this is gonna be so new and so fully restored that you don't have to wait for the next model. I think with that view in mind, it, at least for me, it helps me not love this world that I am in too much. Because if I'm honest, when things are going well, I, I don't want to rock the boat, don't want to disturb anything. I, I almost feel like I have to tiptoe just in case. I don't want to break anything. Don't want to jinx it. I don't believe in jinxing, but you know what I mean. I don't want to I just... But I'm not suggesting that we don't fight death. I'm not suggesting that whenever you're sick, you don't take medicine. If you need surgery, you need treatment, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just saying that this world is not our home. And you can measure that it's not your home by the things that will be taken away when we're in heaven. No more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. And then in verse 6 of Revelation 21, it says, and he also said, it is finished. The same exact word that Christ said on the cross. For I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Exactly what Christ told the lady at the well. All who are victorious, victorious in Christ, will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God and they will be my children. Which goes back to the promises that Isaiah had prophesied many years before this when he was talking about that, God, we're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth and the former things will be gone and, and will come to mind. So as we consider that, the things that won't be in heaven, the things that you won't have to face, this is what David is talking about. He's making it new. And again, I can't stress this enough, not a replacement that will eventually need to be replaced again. Not a replacement that is, this replacement is for all time. The first heaven and the first earth is pointing to the new heaven and the new earth. This life is pointing to the new one. Again, that's why when, in, when Adam and Eve were kicked out of the garden, that's why God put a cherubim to protect it, to block it from us trying to return to a place. We are never supposed to return to a place but to a relationship with Christ. And in that relationship with Christ is the place in which we dwell in. And yes, again, heaven is a physical place, but it is there and we are invited there because of the blood of Christ. Again, that's why when we read in Philippians, it's not on the screen, but I was considering it this morning as I was just considering how good God is when in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that's exactly what Psalm 23 can be summed up as to live as Christ. While I am living, I am going to follow you, Christ. When I die, I will gain an inheritance that I did not earn. And it's not just that, that heaven will be great and grand and we're just, like I said, barely touching the surface, the glimpse of heaven without all of the darkness and all of the worries and all of the fears. And think of the worst thing of yourself. Think of the worst. This week I was doing premarital counseling and um, one of the things that we had talked about is, is 
the worst part of you tends to come up in stress. So for me, Saturday night, this is more than you probably wanted to know, Saturday night, right before bed, I get super anxious and think, "Uh uh-oh, Sunday's tomorrow. I'm not ready. Almost without fail, that thought comes to my mind. And I've been a pastor for a little while. Before I taught on Sundays, if it was Saturday or if it was Wednesday, it was always, "Uh uh-oh, what is it? And all of the insecurities and all of the worries and all the things, all of the self-focus of myself really comes out. I hardly ever sleep well Saturday night. This is just full confession. I wake up much earlier than my alarm and I pout about it. (laughs) Then I'm thankful that Natalie has the foresight to have the coffee pre-made much earlier than I anticipate to wake up. But it's not until I sit down And I pray, and I say, almost without fail, because you've noticed I'm a little robotic in my prayers sometimes. All right, God, today's the day. Will you help me? And, And it goes away. You know, that little walk, that 15 step walk from the chair up here. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. And then as soon as I get here, okay, it's go time. If anyone who teaches and preaches say that never goes away, don't believe them. And I don't think it should. But all that all that to say is that this this the worst part of me the anxiousness whatever it is the self focus the worrisome that which steals my joy from God will be gone. That's removed. That's part of what is described as that deep belly deep belly sorrow or pain. The ugliness of you. So whatever it is, maybe, and, and I don't have to tell you what the ugliest parts of your inner person that still is in need of work, but you know what it is. You know when the stress comes out, what kind of person, where your brain goes. And of course, yes, as the Holy Spirit, as he works in our lives, he, he shapes us out, he works with us, but you know that there's still stuff that you don't like about yourself. And this is what heaven will replace all of that anxiousness, all of that worry, all of that meanness, all of that ugliness, all of that fill in the blank for you will be removed. And that's what David is saying. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is not my home. I can't wait to go home. But until I go home, I'm going to walk with him as close as I can. He is the good shepherd. Again, that that idea that the sheep that is closest to the shepherd is the fullest, most satisfied sheep. The ones on the fringes are the ones that are still in the fold, but do not trust him fully. But what about me? What, what, what will happen to me? And not only is that a glimpse of heaven of what King David is talking about, he also talks about the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven. C.S. Lewis said, human beings are hope-shaped creatures. How you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about the future. And that is the truth. How you are living your life now is completely controlled by what you believe about the future. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that he is true? Do you believe that his son died for your sins? Do you believe that there is a hope for your future? Not just in heaven, but for for surely in heaven, but for now. You see, if there is no hope for the future, then you only live for the day. 
And if you only live for the day, you are completely focused on yourself. And if you are completely focused on yourself, you will be utterly disappointed and have no hope. You see that? You see that to be true? If you only live for today, and we see the world doing that. You could just go turn on the news, read the paper, go on social media, and the world is all about right now, how you feel, it's all about you, you do you, follow your heart, blah, blah, blah. But you will see, and even as followers of Christ, you, you see this to be true. When you are focused on yourself, you end up being utterly disappointed and have no hope. Because you're so worried about that little person, me, 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 me. But yet there's hope, the hope of heaven. And the hope of heaven doesn't begin for the believer once they are in heaven. The hope of heaven believes the moment you believe and accept that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. See, we, ha- we all have scars and hurts, but that does not define us. Our hope defines us. But a lot of times we like to circle back and point to this scar, this hurt. And since I've already brought up middle school boys, I might as well just go all in. Middle school boys have no problems lifting up their shirts or other things to show you their scars, their battle wounds. They're so excited. I got this. Don't tell my mom I wasn't wearing my helmet, you know, or whatever it is. But yet, those are the cool scars, the the battle scars, the look at this. I got stabbed by a soldier. I know you didn't. You know, all of these exaggerations, all of these, but actually deep down inside the scars that, and the hurts that we hide are the emotional ones, the ones caused by sin, either by our sin or the other ones. But yet, there is hope. There's hope for that restoration. We don't have to carry those scars and those hurts. They're just part of the story until we get to heaven's door. So let's take a look at what Peter said about the hope of heaven. So First Peter 1 and I'll read uh, 3 through 7. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 7. And again, this is just a, just a snapshot. This is when Peter, much later in life, actually, side note, Mark probably wrote it. I mean, it's Peter's words, but Mark was the one who was writing it because Mark was younger and sitting there. But if you think Peter wrote it, that's okay. But I think it's pretty neat. I, I only, at least for me, as I read through this and see the different commentaries and people talking about it, Peter was always moving. He would never actually sit down to write anything. So someone said, and then what happened? And then what happened? And then what happened? But all of this is taking place if Peter or Mark wrote it for him. This is a reflection after his life, almost as if the same way that David is writing a reflection of his life in Psalm 23. So with that, let's read verse 3 of 1 Peter 1. Verse 3, it says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again. Just stop there real quick. That great mercy is what we talked about last week in Psalm, uh, the first part of verse 6. Of Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This is the same word of the mercy. It's just translated uh, instead of Hebrew, it's Greek, but it's that same, that pursuing, that sheepdog mentality that's coming after me. So it is by his great pursuit of his mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation or great expectation in our hope would be an accurate translation. And we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, P 
pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. You notice that? This new heaven, this new earth that is coming will not be destroyed by anything. Everything that we have here on earth, including our bodies, is slowly decaying. And that's what Peter is saying. It, it, it's beyond our reach to change or decay. And then he goes on, verse 5. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation or this hope of heaven, this expectation of heaven, this, this gift of heaven, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead. Even though you must endure many trials for a little while, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. Our trials, our hurts, the scars, the pain, it's not for anybody else but for us to see our faith in action and then for those on the outside to see our faith. As he goes on, he says, it is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. That's hope. Think about Peter's life, the ups and downs, the walking away from Christ, the denial of Christ, being restored to eventually, as tradition believes, that he was crucified on a cross but asked to be turned upside down because he was not worthy to die the same way as his Lord. And he knows and he understands the hurts, the hangups, and the pain, but yet this great expectation, this hope of heaven, this, this man who knew so much trouble, caused so much trouble, who knew true forgiveness because he also knew the trueness of his sin, much like David. Think about all the things that David did. I appreciate what Jerry Bridges wrote. Jerry Bridges was um, uh, a pastor that primarily did a lot of work in hospitals, uh, caring for people. And he would remind people of this. He said, he said, on your worst days, you are never so bad that you are out of reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you are never so good, you are beyond the need of God's grace. See, it's this both and that we are living in here on earth. We are supposed to be, live our fullest life here for the glory of God while we are here, but yet eagerly anticipating heaven. And regardless of our worst days and our good days, if, as Pastor Jerry Bridges said, again, he said, on your worst days, you are never so bad that you are out of reach of God's grace. And on your best days, you are never so good you're beyond the need of God's grace. So as we close up Psalm 23, what does this mean for us? What does, what does this look like for us? What kind of picture are we seeing here as we are awaiting heaven? First of all, I would suggest if you don't have a saving relationship with Christ, start there. Second, I would suggest, and then we'll, we'll continue the application if you're a believer in Christ and you do not feel worthy, great, join the club. You are not worthy, but he is worthy. He, again, was the perfect shepherd and the perfect sacrifice. God's goodness and mercy, as we talked about last week, shall follow us all of the days of our life. 
is that sheepdog that thought that he is pursuing us. He's not driving us like cattle, but he's leading us. So as we await for heaven, let's look at the Psalm 23 format as we consider what King David has taught us or what King David taught us through the Holy Spirit. So the first one, the Lord is my shepherd and we shall not want, and I'll say this over and over again, everybody has a Lord of their life. It needs to be Christ. All other things are idle and they will let you down. And whenever we sit in that presence and we recognize that we are in the presence of the Lord and he is our shepherd, we won't have any want because we know he will take care of it. The next one. When the Lord makes you lie down in green pastures and he leads you beside the waters, listen. When he makes you lie down, when he says, okay, that's enough. One of the little tests is that I try to routinely do is this may be a good thing, but is this really what God wants me to do? Because my nature is I want to do it all. But when he makes you lie down in green pastures, lie down. When he says, wait, wait. And the next part, as he leads beside still waters, as we are eagerly anticipating heaven, as he leads us beside still waters, as he's walking us to restore our soul, in verse three, are you drinking from the waters? Meaning, are you spending time with him? Are you sitting there? Do you take your Sabbath? Do you take your time off? Do you have a regular time with the Lord? Because it's in those times that he will restore your soul. The next part, as you're considering, as you're thinking about, okay, I want to greatly wait on heaven. I want to do it right. He says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. One of the mantras that, that I try to live by is, make my next step an obedient one regardless of my last step. So if it was a good step, good job, take the next one. If it was a bad step, bad job, repent, take the next step. And it's for his name's sake, and God is big enough to take care of his own name. He just asks us to give him glory. And then when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. All of us will walk through these valleys, up and down valleys. And many times as the shepherd would walk the sheep through the valleys to actually protect them from the wolves and to protect them from the overwhelming heat, it seems dark and scary. And yet we will not fear any evil because we know who is walking alongside us. And as we are anticipating with hope of heaven, we are reminded his rod and his staff, they comfort me. The rod for the bad guys and the staff for us. Both he is willing to use it. And that brings us comfort because he doesn't just leave us alone. He doesn't leave us alone in our sin. He's asking us and driving us, driving us, asking us to come to him. And then he prepares a table before our enemies in the presence of our enemies. He prepares a table. And as we consider this, no shortcut, sit down fully at the table. Wherever you're at, be there fully. He anoints our head with oil. We have the gift of the Holy Spirit who dwells in us for those who believe in Christ. 
our cup overflows when we pay attention to the f- and focus in on who is filling our cups. Check your cup for holes and make sure you are filling it from the correct well. And surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Thank God that it's not dependent on us. And then, as we leave our tent, as we get up from the table to face our day, as we wake up tomorrow to face the day, we can say, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever with the anticipation and the hope of heaven. So a couple of notes as we're thinking about this. Don't figure it out in the storm is what I wrote down. Don't run back to the house in the rain and grab your raincoat when you should have already been wearing it. I know that I feel the sense of the Lord during the darkest times, the hardest times, when I have spent time with him in the good times. There's nothing wrong with running back to the Lord when it's dark and scary, but preferably he's been there the whole time. So as we consider this, this new hope, and as we consider even that, what a new heaven and a new earth looks like, and one day that it will be fully restored and never lost again, I appreciated what Donald Gray Barnhouse, uh, another pastor who made lots of hospital visits, he, he shares a story, and this is back in the 60s or 70s, he shares a story that uh, he married a little bit older, and his, he and his wife had a daughter, and when she was 10 years old, his wife, her mother, died tragedy, tragically. And for a long time, for the next year and a half or so, he would, he would tell that his daughter was so scared to go out and so worried that something would happen to her or more. She would say, Dad, I don't want you to leave or go anywhere because something will happen to you. So as he goes on and tells the story, he tells of the story that she's finally brave enough to venture outside later that afternoon. So as they're walking down the street, they come to the corner and there's a big, huge truck that comes around the corner and slightly jumps the curb, but nowhere close to her. And she screams and she screams and she screams. So he picks her up in the arms and says, it's okay, it's okay. And she said, the truck came awfully close, daddy. And then he said, this is what the Lord gave him as he was trying to comfort her. He said, darling, the truck did not hit you, did it? Oh, no, Daddy. He said, and I know that we're really sad about Mommy, aren't we? Yes, Daddy. But did the truck hit you? No, Daddy. Right, what hit you? He asked. And she said, just the shadow of the truck. He said, that's right. But not the truck itself. And then he said... Death did not hit your mommy. Only the shadow of death hit your mommy. Because death hit Jesus in all of its vengeance, and yet Jesus defeated death. Only the shadow of death hit your mommy because of her trust in Christ. But our eternal glory will be when we are reunited with our maker, and you will see your mommy. So that's the hope of heaven that we have, and Again, just as we've walked through Psalm 23, hopefully it has helped all of us slow down to the intimacy of Christ that we recognize we weren't meant for this world, but yet we have a heaven that is waiting for us because Christ made a way 
because the full death and its wrath hit Jesus. And when we die, for those of us who are believers in Christ, only the shadow will hit us. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word and thank you for the series and thank you for heaven and thank you for the things that won't be in heaven, Lord, and thank you for all the many things that will be in heaven in this glorious paradise in which you will redeem every living thing, Lord, that you've created. And for us humans, those who have put our trust in your Son as our Lord and Savior, Lord, as we consider what King David wrote this psalm and much later in his life, Lord, as now he's getting up from the table and he's going out to face the day knowing good and well that you will be with him all of his days and that one day, as he wrote, he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And he is. And that is the same promise that you offer for us, God. That anyone who puts their trust and belief that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior that died for our sins and did not stay dead but rose again three days later, we have this hope of heaven, Lord. And Lord, though that we may be going through trials now and we may have scars to show and we know that we'll check all that in at the gate and as we are fully redeemed. But Lord, thank you that it's only the shadow of death that touches us. So Lord, we thank you and we praise you and as we sing more songs, we just, you are worthy. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.